Sunday. Well, let's dive into part three of our series, Rebuild. Uh, we are looking through the series of Nehemiah, and here's why we really felt compelled to, to dive into this book. Uh, we are in this, uh, as we're coming out, I know we're, we're still, in, especially in other parts of the world, very much in um, uh, this pandemic, but it is a different season and has been for the past several months than what it was, say, six, 12 months ago. And in this season, I had lots of conversations where people are, are sort of wondering and processing, like, what is life going to look like now that we've been through or are still, you know, gone through really the, um, in Jesus' name, the worst part of this global pandemic here in the U.S., that as we're kind of coming into this new season, um, what is life going to look like? We're in the midst of rebuilding new rhythms and reestablishing routines and offices are reopening or planning to reopen. Schools are reopening five days a week in the fall. There's lots of, of change. There's lots of, I know I've had conversations with people saying, you know, what I want to take with me from this previous season and what do I want to establish as something new in this new season? And why Nehemiah is so relevant because Nehemiah was called by God to go back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem um, but also really rebuild life for people in Jerusalem, the Jewish people. And there's lots of principles that we can glean from his life. And the first two weeks um, was Nehemiah 1 through 6. And we talked about how Nehemiah received this vision from God, the birth of, of a vision to go back to his capital city. Now he took a faith-inspired risk and he planned and prepared uh, and then he, he built a team, the people, to help rebuild the walls. And then last week, we, we talked about how resistance. And when you, when you follow God and you step out in obedience to God's word or God's call upon your life, expect resistance. Like Expect that minimally the enemy of your soul, the devil himself, will come against you. Uh, but sometimes in, in resistance can be internal. It can be external. And we see how they, in the face of resistance, still rebuilt the walls in 52 days, which was a miracle because the previous builders took three to four years. So now in Nehemiah 7 through 9, which we're going to look at today, what essentially is happening is now that the walls have been rebuilt, God begins to rebuild the lives of the Jewish people. Because, see, it wasn't really ever about the wall. It was about the people who would be within the wall. And let me encourage someone today, regardless of what you feel called to vocationally or just in life, whether you're, you're a business owner or you're a teacher, you're a government worker, you're a fellow at the NIH, you're serving at Walter Reed, wherever it might be, whatever God's called you to, it's ultimately to serve people. And we see here that, that what happens next is, is God begins through, through Nehemiah, through the priest Ezra, through others, begins to build the lives of the Jewish people. And really what happens in, in, in this, this segment of the book is God begins to build a foundation of character in their life. I, I mentioned this last week because here's the reality. The call upon your life from God is great because it's from God. But a call of God will crush you if your character is not strong enough to sustain you. And we've all seen people, we, we, we know it, right? There's news stories about some people who did not have the character to be able to receive the full calling on their life. We know people who've made bad decisions because their character. And here's the, here's the, the important part. Character is built and established and formed in the private place. See, we can look all great on the outside. But if we don't have strength on the inside from God, whatever God calls us to publicly will crush us privately. 
And eventually, we can't actually do what God's called us to do. And here's my hope for your life, that you fully accomplish and fulfill what God's called you to. But in order to do that, you need to have an internal character that God wants to form on the inside of you. So today, we're going to talk about how we can form a character as the foundation of our calling. And whatever you read out of Nehemiah, uh, we're going to start Nehemiah 7 again, walk through both, uh, all three chapters but before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. I pray as I open up my, my mouth, God, that you would speak through me. We posture our heart and our mind to receive from you today, God. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to share three thoughts from the book of Nehemiah on how we can establish this character um, and allow God to work in us. And uh, here's the first point I want to share with you today is that we first must protect what God is doing in our lives. We must protect what God is doing in our lives. Nehemiah 7, verse 1. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people. Just a side note, uh, if, if, if you're, when you're pulling people close to you in life, and especially if they're people that you're going to have as close confidants, examine the integrity of that person. Uh, he had men of integrity around him, people who were uh, the same publicly as they were privately. He then I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. And appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, and some at their posts and some near their own houses. So in, in chapter 6, they face a lot of resistance. Rather, chapter 5, uh, externally and internally, if you remember. Um, and, and, and what happened is the walls are built, but Nehemiah knows the resistance is not done. And Nehemiah knows that they still need to have guards stationed. Nehemiah knew that even though God miraculously worked through us, and in 52 days he erected these walls through us, we must still be vigilant to protect what God has done. And that's something that we must do in our own life. Because, because when God is moving in our life and God is working in our life, we must protect the sacredness of what God's done in our life. On a very practical level, we've seen this before where someone maybe has, has made some changes in their life, but they don't have the disciplines and structures and systems in their life to sustain what's happened. Has anybody ever seen this show or heard of it, the show Biggest Loser? Terrible name for a show, by the way, right? No one's a loser. Um, but but the, the show is basically these individuals who oftentimes have a significant amount of weight to lose for their own health. They have nutrition and diet plans and, and, and you know, workout plan. And the average weight, catch this, the average weight lost on The Biggest Loser is 100 pounds. But, but, but what they found is that months and years later after the fact, 70% of those on the show gained the weight back. And here's what they found, and I'm not making a statement about the show, but here, here's the truth, is that whatever progress we make, if we don't have the disciplines and structures in place in our life to keep the progress that we've made, we can easily lose it. Pastorally, I've seen this. I've seen people come to, to faith in Christ, or I've seen people come back to faith in Christ, and first six months, 12 months are fired up. I mean, they're hearing the voice of God. They're reading the word every day. They're coming to church. They're in community group. They're getting free from some sin in their life. They're seeing the fruit of the spirit manifest. They're hearing God's voice. They're following after God's will and calling. But then here's how it happens. And here's how the enemy works in your life. Because the Bible, Paul writes this in one of his epistles. is saying that 
The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to whom he can devour. If you did not know this, there is someone, the devil, who is seeking to devour your life. And here's how he devours us. Here's how he destroys us. It's not like this all of a sudden, like today you're fine, tomorrow you blow up your life. It starts with little compromises. There's a proverb that says it's the, it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Meaning it's those little compromises, right? It's those, it's those little decisions that you know that you're not making the right decision, but you're still saying, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. Nobody else will know. But it's the private compromises. That private compromises over the course of time ends up leading to public ramifications. That, 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 that it's a small compromises. So what it can look like is you, is you beginning to compromise uh, maybe in your scripture reading. Saying, you know, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not reading God's word. I'm, I, I'm, I'm distracted with other things, but, but, but that's okay. I, I'm okay. Or, or maybe you begin to, to, to lower the value on, on church and being a part of a community of faith. Or, or, or maybe you begin to make compromises in your relationships in regards to your, maybe your purity. Maybe you begin to make, make, make compromises in regard with your heart when it comes to maybe envy or, or greed or pride in your heart. Again, it can be, it oftentimes starts with things that nobody else would know. Like on the outside, you look great. But on the inside, it's these little compromises. And can I tell you, I have sat across from people personally who have what some may say in some ways blown apart their life by really poor decisions. And it never started with a big compromise. It was always little compromises. So here's what you got to do, church. You have to protect what God's doing in your life. So let me just give you two practical thoughts. Is number one is you have to have disciplines, spiritual disciplines in your life. That, that there are things like, let me just give you two. If you're like, where do I start? Here are two that I think if you do these, a year from now, you'll be glad you did. If you're not currently doing these. Number one is every day is read your Bible and pray. And here's the key to a discipline. You do it when you don't feel like it. Come on, think about it when it comes to physical health. How many people have ever eaten kale before? <laughs> Nobody feels like eating kale. Kale's horrible. You can't fix kale. But you eat it because it's good for you. They're like, this is better than the chocolate chip muffin I want right now. There you go. Just going to eat the kale. Just going to pour the gallon of dressing on it. So it did, I don't know it's kale. I'm going to mask the kale with Caesar. But, but we, we so, so here's what that means. That there are sometimes you will get up and you don't feel like reading your Bible. Read it anyway. There'll be some Sundays you're like, I want to sit back, especially come on football season coming up. I want to stay at home. I'm going to watch the pregame football. Then I'm going to watch football all day. Like, as a pastor, I wish the NFL would move their games away from Sunday. Uh, if you can help me with that, um, <laughs> it'd be really great. But can I tell you, it's when you get up and you go into church and you don't feel like it, that's when you need to be where you are because it's discipline. Do you know what the root word of discipline is? Disciple. 
So following Christ is not, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing, what I feel like praying today. I felt like going to church today. Now I don't feel like it. No, it's saying I am determining in my heart. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to worship in church. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be in community. I'm going to confess sin. Why? Not when I feel like it because I'm a disciple. Therefore, I am disciplined. I am disciplined. And you already, you already do discipline well. Again, if you've eaten kale, you've done it. <laughs> right? Uh, hopefully all of you today, when you, when you left the house this morning, you brushed your teeth. You didn't even think of it. If you did not brush your teeth, you may excuse yourself right now and go take care of that. The person next to you is very discouraged right now. But, but, but put disciplines in place. Here's what Hebrews says. It says about discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That actually produces a harvest of righteousness. Here's how you know as, as, as you're growing in your faith that what at one point becomes uh, laborious over the course of time, it becomes, not saying it doesn't necessarily ever not feel like a discipline but all of a sudden because you know what's going to happen on the other side of it now becomes more enjoyable to do it let me give you an example when I first came to Christ I had a hard time with prayer so true story I thought prayer you had to be in a quiet place kind of you know knelt down quiet and I used to fall asleep when I'd pray anybody else ever fallen asleep when you pray before um, I'd be like I'm just so comfortable in your presence Lord Yes, I'll get a blanket. Is that you, Jesus? I think it is. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have woke up early. Um, I used to fall asleep, and I used to feel like a terrible Christian. I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I just fell asleep on the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like, I, what did I do? I, Bible reading I got, because I'm kind of a book nerd. I love to read books. So, like, I'm like, Bible reading, I get. Prayer, not so much. And can I tell you, for, for years of my life, it was a discipline. Like, it wasn't like, well, I feel like praying right now. I'm just going to go ahead and pray. No, it was like, no, I'm going to pray because I know that it's good for me to connect with God. And can I tell you, I have seen, in fact, even this week, there was a prayer I was praying for over six months. It was answered this week. I saw, I saw the harvest of righteousness because I did not get, give up. So let me help you. When you don't feel like doing the right thing, that's the best time. To do the right thing. That's the best time to pray. It's the best time to read your Bible. It's the best time to show up and worship. I don't feel like worship. I'm not in the mood. That's the time to go in. That's the time to lean in. Because the enemy, I have found the enemy can oftentimes work through our feelings. And we live in a feeling-based culture where we do what we feel. And listen, your feelings are great indicators of what's happening on the inside, but they're horrible navigators. Horrible navigators. I used to work as a psychologist, and I, I'll even say that. Like, feelings, they're great to kind of a dashboard indicator, but you don't listen to them and then follow them down a path. You, you allow the Word of God to shape you and to mold you and to lead you to do, do the right thing. But let me say this. There will come times when it's, it's hard to do the right thing, right? It's, it's, it's difficult to do the right thing, even though you know what to do. 
That's why you need accountability in relationships. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Let me say this. If you've been a part of a church culture where you felt condemnation for your sin, I know I have before. Or you felt shame, like you felt bad for what you did. Can I say that I'm sorry? That is not the heart of God. That is not the intent for his church. What does it say here in the scripture? When you find a brother and sister in sin, you restore them gently. You gently restore them. Why? Because of the mercy of God and the grace of God. He's gracious with us. He's gentle with us. So you want to have a, a culture and a community where we gently restore others. We, we, don't, we don't condemn. Because here's the reality. If you are a human, if you have breath in your lungs, then you have imperfections and sin in your life. And if you don't think you have a sin, pride is your sin. Welcome to church. Come on, somebody. You're so glad you came, right? And here he says, carry each other's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. So listen, when you posture yourself, you need someone to carry your burdens. You need someone to restore you when you fall. Everyone does. No one's excused from this. I have those people in my life who encourage me and pray for me, who ask me hard questions. Why? Because they, they want to hold me accountable to the call of God upon your life. Can I tell you, the call of God upon your life and what God wants to do through your life and the will of God in your life is far too important for you to go at this thing all by yourself. You need someone to say, ask me the hard questions. Like, get in my life. Hold me accountable to the call of God. And if you don't do it for yourself, do it for those that God will bless through you. There are other people on the other side of your calling that God wants to bless. But if you're not obedient and following the will of God, listen, he'll, he'll find somebody else. But I'm telling you, God wants to bless them through you. So if you don't do it for your sake, do it, do it for their sake. But you got to have somebody in your life to hold you accountable, to, to encourage you. And let me say this one last thing, is be that person for somebody else. Hold them accountable. Have somebody in your life that you're restoring them gently. Have somebody, you're, you're carrying their burdens. You're praying for them. You're encouraging them in the call that God has upon their life. Here's point number two, is become a person of the book. I'm going to give clarity to what I mean by that. Of course, I'm referring to Scripture. Uh, Nehemiah 8 now. What happens in Nehemiah 7? He takes an account of all the people in Jerusalem. Now Nehemiah 8, Ezra the priest uh, gets up and begins to. They have a six-hour church service. And you all think I preach long, okay? You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, but today, we're going to be biblical. Six hours. You're welcome. You came to 11 o'clock service. Uh, our next service is until 5 o'clock. Exactly six hours. <laughs> Not on coincidence. Uh, <laughs> here it says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand it. So he actually teaches the word of God for three hours. And then they have three hours of worship. So for three hours, he's teaching, and they actually all stand to their feet. And while he's teaching, they stand for six hours, the whole service. And, and from this moment on, here's why it's so important. From this moment on, the Jewish people became known as the, 
people of the book. Like they were so committed to the word of God. Like they were so committed to the ways of God. They became known as the people of the book. May it be said about us as followers of Jesus that we are people of the book. That we are people of the word of God. The word of God is not one of several sources that guide my life. It is the primary source that guides my life. If you're a follower of Christ, the Bible is not one of many inputs. It is the primary input through which every other source, through which every other source of wisdom and input submits to. Why? Because we believe what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 16. All scripture is God-breathed. What that means is God inspired every single person who wrote the word of God. It is authoritative. It is infallible. It is the very word of God. Therefore, I submit my thoughts. I submit my opinions. I submit any other source of my life, any other book, any other teacher, any other life coach. I submit to the word of God. Why? Because he created them, created me. They didn't. He saved me. They didn't. Therefore, why would I submit my life to someone over the one who gave me life? And listen. Here's what that means. Super practical. Read other kinds of marriage books. Do that. But submit to the word of God in your marriage first. Read other kind of inputs for how to handle your finances. But if it contradicts the word of God, if you're a follower of Christ, guess who loses out? Not God. And listen, here's how you know you're submitting. You don't agree with it. If you always agreed, it would never be submission. If you're always like, man, that's a great word. I totally agree with that. That's totally easy. Submission sometimes is saying, all right, Jesus. That's hard. I'm going to trust you. I don't want to forgive them. But your word says to forgive 70 times 7. God, I don't want to be generous. But there's more scripture about being generous than there are about prayer. That's what it looks like to be a person of the book. Meaning, above all else, I am shaped, I am formed, I am instructed, I am corrected, I am, I am, I'm given, I have direction coming from God's word above all else. Do you know right now in in our country, in America, only 16% of Americans read the Bible every day? 16%. Can I lovingly say this? If you are a follower of Jesus, and please, there's no, this isn't religious. I want you to experience God's best for your life. And I, I, I firmly believe this. You cannot walk in God's very best unless you're submitted to his word daily. You eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or all three. If you're me, and two more snacks. Every day. Why would you not feed your spirit? Every day. Your body will stay here on this earth. We are overly consumed with our bodies in this culture. And we, we, are, we undervalue our spirits and our souls. Have you noticed that? We're overly focused on the... And I'm not saying you should care for your body. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is offer some care to your spirit. By reading the word of God every single day. 
Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you ever have a struggle with your faith, like I'm having a hard time believe, or you ever feel distant from God, here's the number one question I would ask yourself. How has my time in his word been? I had someone this week tell me that they were, they were been struggling in their faith, and then they, they offered voluntarily, I have not been reading the word. So the first antidote is to read his word because the, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Can I tell you why I stand up here confidently before you and say if you're feeling sick or have an illness or have a pain in your body, come tonight. We'll believe God will heal you. Do you want to know why I have so much confidence in that? Because I am very aware of multiple moments in scripture where God heals somebody. Faith comes by hearing. My faith for that comes because I know God's word. And God's word also says not one of his promises will return empty. So I align my faith with his word. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, said this, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Let's bring it into the 20, uh, what are we, 21st century. Uh, visit many different YouTube channels. Listen to many different podcasts, but live in God's word. Let the word of God be the primary thing that shapes your life. Then in verse 8, I love this. It says this, they read from the book of the law, and they made it clear, giving meaning to the people that understood what they were being read. I love this. Ezra wanted to make it clear to the people of God what was being read. Why? So when they left the six-hour worship service, they actually, they actually put into practice what they learned. Have you ever met somebody who they did church really well? on Sunday, but they didn't do church really well in their personal life on Monday. Yeah. Ezra's like, hey, we're about to have some good church in here. But I want to make sure when we're done here, you're living this out. Because we've all, we've all I, I want you to grow in the knowledge of Scripture and the knowledge of God. That's biblical. But as much so, I want you to grow in the application of the Word of God because that's where the blessing comes from. And, and Ezra in this moment wanted that as well. And we've all maybe have come across followers of Jesus who knew the word of God but did not practice it well. And maybe some of you have been hurt by those types of individuals. Maybe they willingly had self-righteousness or they were judgmental. I'm not saying we have a call to be perfect, but we have a call to pursue him. I was reminded some years ago, I went to a dentist in my early young adult years. And first time going to him, I had just heard of him. So the first time I went to the dentist and I walked in and I'll just... I don't know how to say this as kindly as I can. He had bad teeth. Like his teeth were like not straight. They were like, there was lots of issues going on. Like, so a part of me was like, I saw the degrees on his walls. So I'm like, I have no question those are legitimate. But to use a street term, are you smoking what you're selling? Like, you know what I'm saying? I just gave you a little insight into my pre-Jesus days, Okay. But are you, are you smoking? Because, you know, if you're selling it, I want to make sure you're smoking it. Because if you're not smoking, that means what you're selling ain't good. Now, again, do not engage in that behavior. But it made sense, right? I'm like, bro, before you clean my teeth, take care of your own. That's why Jesus says, be less concerned with the speck in your neighbor's eye and, and deal with the log in your own eye. Can I tell you, listen, it's easy to point out the sin of other people. It's hard to deal with your own sin. Because to deal with your own sin takes work. And, and listen, 
And let's be a people who are applying the word of God so we're not like my old dentist who I only went to once and never again. Because I was like, player, you ain't touching my teeth anymore. Uh, fool me once, fool me twice. No. Here's what James, brother of Jesus, said. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Meaning if you listen and don't do it, you're, you're deceived. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says, like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That word to look intently, another word used in scripture often is like the word meditate. In fact, Psalm 1, give you one more scripture. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step, step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. A person, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in every season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So you're blessed, I meaning you'll be fruitful in every season. If you, if, you say, if you meditate and you do what the word of God says, another word for the word meditate in the scripture, it's not like our, our cultural meditation, which is emptying of yourself. It's filling yourself with the word of God. Another word you can use is marinate, to use kind of a summertime word. You know, when you marinate meat and you marinate overnight so the, 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 the seasonings and the sauce and the juices get deep in the meat, um, that, that, that's what he's saying with the word of God. That you allow the word of God to marinate, to get deep on the inside of you so that you will do what it says. And blessed you'll be. Fruitful in every season you will be if you do the word. So the two questions I want to ask you this at this point is this. Is how is your time in God's word? Again, please hope you never feel any condemnation here at Catalyst Church. That's not the heart at all. It's not like calling us to the better that God has for us. But are you read, if you're a follower of Christ, are you reading the word daily? And let me encourage you. If you miss a day, you skip a week, just hop back on the train. Like, just get back on, right? Just, just get back on the train and read the word of God. Here's why. And listen, if you will commit to reading the word every day and you commit to putting it into practice, Come back a year from now. I think you're going to look back and you're going to see what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 1. You'll see what James said. You'll, be, you'll, you'll, you'll see your life blessed and you'll see your life producing fruit in every season. Let me put it this way. If, if, you're, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, do a self-assessment. Like, how's my time in the Word? Just on a side note, too, um, I used to do this every month and now I even try it now every week. Um, and this is something you can add to your sort of spiritual discipline repertoire. Um, I ask myself, I do a reflection on myself. On my Sabbath, I do this. And then I also ask those closest to me, primarily my wife, Christina, because she sees everything. As I ask, are you seeing the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Are you seeing Jesus work in my life? Because if not, then what I'm doing is not working. So help me to grow. I, it's Listen. Sometimes I don't, I don't hear what I want to hear. <laughs> so make sure somebody's be honest with you. But have those relationships in your life and, 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 and doing a self-assessment. Like, how am I doing? And then again, just hop back on the train. Repent, hop back on the train. Here's the last point. Uh, is remember that we are called to live differently. So protect what God's doing. 
And then he'd become a person in the book and then remember that we are called to live differently. In verse 5, he opens the book. Um, let me say verse 6. So they're having this worship service. Ezra's praising the Lord, the great God. The people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The word worship there has a dual meaning. One of those meanings is to bow down and lay prostrate, which is an act of surrender. It reminds you what Jesus said in John 4, 24, that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. This was in response to the woman in Samaria asking Jesus about how to worship. That worship, he says in this moment, is not just about what you do. It's not just about what you do. It's about an internal decision. To worship in spirit and in truth, it means literally you, you bowed your heart to God. You surrendered your heart to God. So when we lift our hands, you know, lifting your hands is an act of surrender. When we lift our hands physically, we lift our voices, that that's actually a manifestation of what we're doing internally. That true worship is actually what's happening on the inside. So in this moment, again, this was a lot of demarcation for the Jewish people. Like numerous scholars said, from this moment, the Jewish people were different because of the word and worship. They bowed down, they surrendered their lives over to God again. And they were forever changed. They were surrendering. And surrender is not just an Old Testament uh, term. We see in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. must surrender your heart. And here's what, to to make it practical. Sometimes, and I've actually lived this way before my life. And maybe you have or you know someone who has, is that sometimes we can have a back pocket type of faith. Here's what I mean. Uh, when we first started the church, there was, uh, we were getting lots of packages of different thing, items we needed for the church. So one, one day we were opening up some packages, and one of our, our team members pulled out a pocket knife in his back pocket. And uh, we kind of used it to open the package up, and he said, yeah, I have that in my back pocket just whenever I need it. Um, he was kind of a handy guy. Um, and uh, so he pulled it out, and he, we, we cut the package open. And here's the thought I had to myself, is that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can have a back pocket type of faith, that we can pull God out when we need him, of saying, maybe your marriage is going through a hard time. Oh, I need you, God. Or, or, and again, please hear me. It's not a bad thing, but, 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 here's, but you're not experiencing the best thing if you only go to God when you need him. And, and here's how back pocket faith can also look like, is that we, we follow him and his word only when we agree with it. Again, submission is when you don't agree. Submission is when it's hard. And submission is not popular in our culture. We have to acknowledge this right now. We live in a culture right now that's saying my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. Well, that truth is not God's truth. There's an absolute truth that's called God's word. So whether or not we like that, it's just the truth. And one day, the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Like one day, the entire world will, will notice this, will see this. There is an absolute truth. So, so here's, to experience God's best on this earth, it often means you putting aside your feelings and your opinions and saying, God, I'm going to trust you, even though I don't fully understand you. I'm going to trust you, even though I'm not sure I fully agree in this moment. Why? Because I trust your character, and I trust your word. 
So that's what surrender looks like. So here's the question I have for you. Is there an area of your life, if you're a follower of Christ, that you're not currently surrendered to God in? Maybe it's your thought life. Maybe it's an area of habitual sin. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in work. Is there an area, and again, there's no condemnation. God's not mad at you. He's just saying, I have better for you. And and I'm going to pray actually at the end of service for those who feel that, that God would give you the courage to, to surrender that over to him and his word in alignment with what he has for you. You know, the other, the other meaning of that word worship means to, to serve or to work. That actually what it means is this, that you not only surrender your heart to God, but that your worship changes the way you live. It means when you go to work tomorrow, you're not just working for your boss, you're working unto God. When you love your spouse or you're parenting your kids, you're doing it unto God. So you're asking God, how, how do you, you're looking at his word, how do you want me to parent? How should I manage my finances? How should I be working in this moment? And then in chapter 9, last chapter that we're going to hit today is in verse 1, it says this. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places, confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were, read the book of the law, the Lord of their God, in a quarter of the day, and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping their God. So what happens in the presence of God And under the teaching of the word of God, they were convicted and they repented. You know, a a word picture for repent, it's simply this. You were going one direction and you turn around. I like to word it this way. What repentance does and what if you allow the word and the presence of God to do in your life. You know when you GPS or your Apple Maps or for your Android people, Google Maps. um, uh, That was a joke. We love you. Um, You know when you make a wrong turn and they say like rerouting? Or you get the little, like, uh, you know, circle because you kind of figure out which way to go. That's what repentance is. It's like, okay, you made a wrong turn. Just you get back on, on track. Okay, I'm back on track. So they begin to repent. They go from feasting to fasting. They begin to repent and turn to God. And again, this is a demarcation moment for them as they begin to repent and now fall in alignment with the word of God. They're, they're confronted with God's love and his grace and his mercy and his standard. And they realize that God's word and God's standard is not intended to be a burden that you strive to achieve, but a blessing that God has for you. And that they begin to turn now and align their lives with the word of God, align their hearts with God. This is my final scripture, and the worship team can come. Romans 12 says this, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Here's what Paul says. If you offer yourself, you surrender yourself in worship, you renew your mind and are transformed by his word, then you will be able to test and approve and discern what God's perfect will is. If you're wondering, what's the call of God on my life? What's the will of God? What should I do in this situation? Surrender yourself in worship. Be transformed by his word. The Bible says, then you'll be able to discern what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is for your life. Listen, 
God and myself, I want you to accomplish the call that God has on your life. But here's what I know from Scripture, that we must also allow him to develop the character to hold the calling upon our life. So my challenge for you today is to take some steps to allow him to form the character in your life, to, to, to protect what he's done, put some disciplines in place. Maybe for some of you, you begin to read your Bible every day in prayer. Maybe have somebody hold you accountable lovingly. Maybe a community group member, a serving team member, maybe somebody that's sitting in your row. Like, And let me just encourage you with this. I, I had a conversation with somebody this week about this, about, about finding these relationships. This is super practical. But I'm telling you, I, I have personally been blessed by this years ago. When you come to church, come early and stay a little bit late. My old pastor used to say, linger in the lobby. Can I tell you, years ago, I met my best friend by lingering in the lobby. Actually, in fact, he was here earlier. One of my best friends right now, you know how I met him? He and I both came to church early, and we met each other. That's how we met. Hey, we're best friends, uh, still now, for that moment. So put yourself in environments where you can build those relationships. Join a community group. Get on a serving team. Get around other followers of Christ. You can build those relationships so somebody can hold you accountable to the call of God upon your life. And then be a person of the book. Like, like love the word of God. Delight in the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Do the word of God. Like, become a person of the book. Like, the Bible is not just one of many sources of reference. It is the primary source through which every other source submits to in your life. And then lastly, remember that you're called to live different. The Jewish people remembered they were called to live differently than the world. And you are called to not conform to the pattern of this world. We're called to live differently, to be transformed by surrendering our lives to God, our hearts to God, and renewing our mind with the word of God. Listen, if you build a strong foundation in your character, it will sustain the calling God has for you on your life. Let's pray. You can bow your heads with me.